0: about the issue of Aguna, Uh, this is the woman who who does not get a a get, and because she does not get a get, because her husband is either uh, selfish, or the husband is blackmailing her for something, or uh, the husband is just a sadist, uh, whatever it would be, uh, she she doesn't have a get, so even if she gets a civil divorce, nothing she can do about it, she's not allowed to get married, if she gets married, there is, uh, uh, the kids are mamzerim, etc., etc., so she's kind of stuck. And uh, we mentioned last week that in Eretz Israel, if a in paskins, the man has to give her a get. So uh, because the decision of a bastin is a legal court in the state of Israel, so under the laws of the Knesset, the, the husband can go to jail, he can lose his passport and everything else. But that's only because uh, Israel does not have separation of church and state, and the basin is part of the court system. In the United States, or any other country, even if the based orders a man to give a get, uh, if he just doesn't listen to the based so what they can do is they can put him in cherem. Uh She would be allowed to hire mafia people to beat him up, which can work sometimes, but you can get in big trouble, you can go to jail. Uh, but the court system is not going to get involved, meaning uh, the secular court doesn't care what a based does. And the secular court is not going to order a man to give a get just because a base did order a man to give a get. That's what's called legally, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, separation of church and state. Ha, uh, by the way, Chabad is, is very, not, not so much in the get issue, but the issue of separation of church and state is a very, very big issue that Chabad is involved in all the time. And that's the issue of menorahs on on public land. You know, uh, here's the big issue. Chabad, you know, obviously likes to have, uh, you know, for good reason, the Rebbe encouraged having public uh, menorah lighting ceremonies. So They have big menorah lighting. So in Israel, of course, they can do it wherever they want to do it. But in America, they want to use a park. uh, They want to use a courthouse. They want to use a government building. So there's a lot of legal problems because officially the government is not supposed to sponsor anything that's religious. So uh, this is called separation of church and state. Church means any religion, not just you know, mm-hmm. Christian. But
1: there's always uh, Christmas trees everywhere. Right, Christmas. right, so
0: that's the issue. So so unfortunately, the people who tend to sue Chabad, that they're not allowed to put up a menorah, tend to be Jews, secular Jews. It, it, it's a funny thing, you know, because Christians are happy. Christians are basically, you know we'll have our Christmas tree and then you'll have your menorah and everybody's going to be happy. Uh, But uh, secular Jews, unfortunately, uh, they they don't want any religious thing, uh, including menorahs. So Chabad often goes to court. There are a lot of court court fights. Uh, Chabad goes to court. Uh, Baruch Hashem, they usually win. Uh, Number one, they have very good lawyers. (laughs) Uh, And number two, uh, Chabad makes uh, an argument that sounds a little funny. And they say, I mean, you know, I'm not sure if it's even totally true, but but in a legal sense they want to make the argument that a menorah is not a religious symbol. A menorah is a symbol of the freedom that people have to practice their religion. And therefore, the menorah it represents freedom of religion. It does not represent... The particular now. The truth of the matter is, I mean, if you want to be honest, <laughs> uh, as a Jew, that's not what I, be- I believe. is religious symbol, but at least legally, that's that's how they present it. And you know, interestingly enough, uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, they win their cases usually, and that's why there are menorahs everywhere because there are Christmas trees everywhere. I mean, you're 100 percent right. If you allow Christmas trees, then of course you have to allow uh, menorahs. Uh, no, the Christians make the same argument about a Christmas tree it's not about religion It's about I mean everyone's making the same argument it's not about religion, it's about the season you know, this and that <laughs> so everybody is not really telling the full truth but okay, but Peseder uh, overall we're better off if we're able to be same Hashem in the world than if we're not so uh, in that case we kind of get away with it in not
1: that telling, particular way yeah. not telling the full truth is considered lying
0: well, nor- normally it is. Normally it is. And uh, I- I, God forbid, I'm not encouraging anybody to do half-truths and the like. But the halacha is that a certain amount of half-truth is mutter if, if it's a very, very important need. Really? Like Yaakov getting the brachos from Esa, right? Mm-hmm. Also half-truths and being able to uh, celebrate, uh, to teach about Hashem in, a- in the world. So... You've got to be very careful because, because once you get into the habit of lying, it, it, it contaminates you. But if you kind of limit it to very, very special cases, so there are hetero. Like or,
1: what do you consider a special case?
0: Like well, that? a special case would be something like, uh, you know, like uh, being able to uh, show Hanukkah to the world. You know, that, that's something that's uh, special. And uh, for that, you'd be allowed to... Um, not tell the whole truth. I Again, it's not, it's not lying. I mean, I mean the argument that Hanukkah represents the freedom of religion is, is true also. I mean, it's not a lie, but it's not a complete, it's not a complete truth. But okay, Bethesda, um, you know. Uh, but uh, as I say this, this is, uh, I mean, I, I know, I mean, the, the lawyer who represents Chabad is actually, I mean, he's an older man now, but he's a good friend of mine, Nathan Lewin, so I uh, you know a little bit about uh, these particular cases. <laughs> that uh, he's always Chabad's lawyer all over the all over the uh, country, the U.S. dealing with this issue of, of Menoris and everything else. I think it was also the lawyer about the sparring, but that was yeah. a different that was a different uh, <laughs> totally different fight. Okay. <laughs> how
1: do they see them? If like hmm? um, they probably got a permit to put up
0: the menorah there, no? Yeah, yeah, you have to get you have to get a permit. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. How
1: do they see that? No, because no, 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 no,
0: no, because the issue is no. But the issue is that the, the government doesn't have the right. They're suing the government, meaning, and that's that's they're not so much suing Chabad, they're suing the government. They're saying the government does not have the right to give permission for religious uh, symbols, mm-hmm. so that they can do. They can say the government is acting illegally. The government is violating the constitution. But that's how these issues come up. Uh, you know, and this is an interesting uh, thing that the, Re- the Rebbe had. You know, uh, it used to be, uh, let's say, f- maybe 60, 70 years ago, in public schools, just public schools, they would begin the day with a prayer. Uh, they would pray. And, of course, uh, since the majority of kids were Christian, it tended to be maybe a yashka prayer or a Christian prayer or a silent prayer even, you think about. So mm-hmm. the Supreme Court said they weren't allowed to have those prayers because of separation of church and state. So in a public school, they cannot begin the day with uh, a prayer. So most of the Jews, even religious uh, Jewish organizations, thought that was a good thing, bruch Hashem, why should our uh, kids be forced you know, uh, to sit in Christian worship? But the Rebbe said it. the Rebbe actually said, I mean, he wasn't in favor of Christian worship, but the Rebbe said that a lot of the problems in schools, the 60s, right, the 1960s were very, very turbulent drugs and... Uh, all of the ills of society kind of come from the 60s, more or less, uh, and he said, that's because the name of Hashem was banished from the classroom. He says, when there was a concept that every day you have to think about Hashem, even if your Hashem is not you know, the right idea of Hashem, but the idea of God, he said, that gave you a sense of kind of morality, a sense of boundaries. So it's very interesting. He says he was in favor of, beginning the day with prayers, even, uh, in a, even if it's Jews sitting among Goyim, a moment of silence or whatever it would be, because that gave people the sense of HaKadosh Baruch in the world. And he said a lot of the wildness and a lot of the immorality and a lot of the decadence in the modern world comes because the idea of God was banished from the, uh, from the secular classrooms. And interesting idea, you know, that...
1: line of time-wise?
0: Huh? oh yeah, yeah, for sure, uh because uh, basically uh the supreme Court uh, struck down uh, prayer in schools like nineteen sixty one In the nineteen sixties after which were all uh assassinations and drugs and and, and all uh, all sorts of things, and that continues to this day that you're not allowed in fact even in the um i don't know if any of you know the Pledge of allegiance, I don't know if you say but uh, the, in the in the United States Pledge of allegiance, so uh it says one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So there are people that are bringing lawsuits. How can you say under God? You're not allowed to say it. Separation of church and state. And even on United States money. In fact, I don't know why they're allowed to have it. According to all of these precedents, it should be us, sir. But every coin, right? If you have, I don't know if you have any have an American money on you. Uh, in Israel, it doesn't say Hashem's name on the money. But uh, in America, it says, in God we trust.
1: <laughs> Is God got a religious
0: concept. Well, what does it mean? That's not a religious concept. What does "in God we trust" mean? <laughs> I mean, how can you make it sec- how can you make it secular? In God we trust. Unless your God is money, maybe that's that's possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's like no, money
0: is our God. <laughs> maybe, not maybe, far off. Yeah, That
1: might be the reason.
0: Maybe so. Maybe so. But I, I don't understand. I mean, I mean, I'm happy that it has it, but I don't understand legally, and I'm a, I'm a lawyer too. I don't understand legally how they can have in God we trust. If you can't have school prayer and you, you can't uh, have any religious thing and, uh, you know, in, uh, sponsored by the government, money is minted by the government. So how can they mention Hashem's name on, on, on money? You know? So it's an interesting question. All right, I mean, I'm happy it's there, but, but, but legally it actually does not make sense why they're allowed to, why they're allowed to do it. But okay. So it's interesting that God is linked
1: with religion. Hmm? It's interesting that God is linked with religion
0: yeah well, I think God is religion. I, I, I understand that you know in Yiddishkeit we don't call about religion we talk about life you know all of life is, 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 is connecting to Hashem. but but certainly belief in God is, is the one thing that makes a religion a religion. you believe in, in a higher spiritual spiritual being. so uh, if the United States Constitution says that the government is not allowed to Supports sponsor uh, religion, then I think uh, I, I mean why is it different than a prayer? I mean I mean a prayer would be a silent prayer. You know you pray to whatever God you believe in, and the Supreme Court said not allowed to do that. So, <laughs> so whatever your definition of God, uh, the, the money is the same as the same uh, same issue. So, who knows uh, who knows what's what's going on? Okay, um, so anyway, how did how did I get onto that? I don't know, but okay. Um,
1: Separation of church and state with Israel.
0: Oh, oh, right, right, right. So I was saying that, going back to the Aguna problem. So in Israel, because there is no, even though this is a secular government, this is not a religious government, but it doesn't separate from religion. So, for example, Shabbos is the official, you know, rest day of the week, etc. And uh, for our purposes, what's, what's most important is that the Israeli court system will enforce the decision of a bastin. So once again, to remind you, if a bastin ordered a man to give a get, and a man does not give a get, the secular court system can put the man in jail, it can take away his passport, take away his driver's license, it can fine him. So agunos and Eretz Israel have much more uh, power, so to speak. Than they would have in any other country now does that mean you don't have agunas in israel no it doesn't mean that because number one there are people there are men who will go to jail and not give a get to their wives there are men that are willing to suffer right so it doesn't mean every aguna is going to get her get but lemaise, it puts a lot of pressure on the man and baruch hashem in many many cases the man is going to give a get uh, of course I did mention that some of the women who don't have Gitten their husbands are already in jail that's kind of the problem and uh, even if you're going to uh, keep them there longer they're already there for a life anyway <laughs> so what do you do to a guy who refuses to give his wife a get and he's in jail for a life sentence what are you going to do now halachically what you could do is you could actually beat him, beat him. Uh, you could beat him to death uh, you can
1: beat him to death
0: According to halacha, you can. But, but the Knesset doesn't allow that. The Knesset's maximum punishment is imprisonment. So when you have a person suffering a life sentence, there's nothing more you can do to the guy. Some people say solitary confinement, but even though the Knesset has not authorized that, so a basin doesn't determine the punishment. The Knesset determines the punishment. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a problem. Again, these are not a large numbers of cases, but there are women that have you know this problem with uh, the husband who's a life sentence for murder, and there's like nothing you can do to him uh, to kind of enforce the decision of the based in. So if he's a decent... For, well, I guess a life sentence. But if he has some decency, <laughs> obviously uh, there's a little bit of a problem there, uh, then he'll give his wife a get. But, but if he really wants to be a bad guy... So she's kind of stuck. There's not a lot that she can do. In fact, I I remember reading a few years ago that there was a guy who languished in jail 30 years because he refused to give his wife a get. And eventually he died. But, you know, he died and she was, you know, 85 or whatever it was. So, you know, it's not a lot... uh, I mean... Not that remarriage is impossible. Sometimes I know very elderly people that have gotten married, but still, you know, it's not, uh, not going to be that likely and her whole life passed her by without the opportunity. to. So so my point is, it's not a panacea. It's not like in Eretz Yisrael, there's no problem. But, but, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot more you can do here than you can do chutz In chutz as I say, if a based in issues a psaq, uh, the only thing they can do is chayrim, excommunication, which may or may not be strong, depending on how much the chassan, or the husband, wants to be part of his community. So as I indicated, in homogenous communities, like Hasidisha communities, a chayrim can be a very powerful thing. In other words, if I'm a Chabad person, I want to live in Crown Heights, and the basin of Crown Heights has put me in chayrim, because I didn't give a get to my wife. Well, I mean, uh, I wanna be able to go to show, I wanna be able to go to seven seventy, I wanna be able to do whatever people in Crown Heights do. So I don't know I don't know what they do. That's That's what they do. Uh, uh, you can sell uh, only things that they need for survival. So, you know, you can let them go grocery shopping and the like, but you don't sell them a car, you don't sell them a house and the like so if, if you want to be part of a community a cheyram can be a very powerful thing but you know in this day and age I mean sometimes the husband may not be from anymore or he doesn't care about uh, let's say Crown Heights you know, you know. so a cheyram in Crown Heights is not going to uh, bother him that much so then you have a problem again she can hire goons halacha permits mafia once she has a based in. but as I say that's dangerous that's risky uh, and I mentioned to you, I think I told you about some rabbis that are in jail or were in jail uh, because they were, uh, they were doing this uh, type of thing.
1: Um, so yep. sometimes it's a better in America where there is a separation of church and state because you could do certain things that you couldn't do in Israel?
0: Are you talking about, uh, about uh, you're not talking about get, you're talking about generally?
1: Um, no, I was thinking about get specifically because you said if someone's in jail, um, the Knesset won't allow you to, let's say, beat him up. In America, oh, I see. In, America, in America,
0: since he's not in jail, I can get, I can beat him up. <laughs> I know. In America, yeah. <laughs> in
1: America, you, yeah. like the what the base didn't said doesn't have to go through the, the, the Congress or whatever. Yeah. Okay. You're
0: you're, you're correct. You're, I mean, you're correct. You're correct about that. Uh, but as I say, uh, you can get in very big trouble. Meaning, on one hand, it doesn't have to go through approval, but if it breaks the secular law, the police can get involved, and people can get arrested. And the like, so uh, so you know it's hard to call that an advantage necessarily because in, in Israel too you can hire mafia, you know, you know instead of going to the uh, court system. So you can do it in Israel too, and, and do it uh, do it that 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 way, All right? So that's a that's a very very big problem. So because of this, so now I'm going to talk about what's called a prenuptial agreement. Now, prenuptial agreement—the word "nuptial" just means marriage. So, prenuptial is just a fancy word—an agreement that is signed before marriage. Prenuptial, uh, and uh, people often abbreviate it. They call it a prenup. Right? You'll hear the old rant, "prenup" is how people call it. But the truth of the matter is, I'll tell you the truth: uh, there's nothing magic about having it. Having it uh, that it has to be done before marriage, theoretically. They could do the same agreement after they're married, and that's called a postnup, snub A post okay? But, but typically... Uh uh, you know, once they're married and they're fighting, uh, the, guy, the husband not, the husband may not want to sign anything. So, so top, you you want to get it when they're still friendly with each other, which is usually before the marriage, or after the marriage. Usually, you know? okay. yes. Hope, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Uh, because after the marriage, you know, there's a certain risk uh, if there's a fighting already. Okay. Um, so, the prenup. There are different prenups that are around in the world. Uh, let me just say at the outset the, the following thing that you need to know, just for your own information. Uh, The prenup uh, is uh, much more used in the modern Orthodox community. Uh, It is not used that much in the yeshiva community and it's used even less in the Hasidisha community. Now, that doesn't mean the prenup is bad, it just means it's not used. Now, why it's not used uh, is a very, very interesting uh, question. Uh, so, some people don't use it because there may be halachic issues. Not, I'll, I'll, I'll describe what the halachic issues are. Others don't want to use it simply because it was not the minhag in the past because there wasn't such a thing. And therefore, no matter what, no matter how good it is, we do not want to change any minhagim. Okay, that's, you know, you can accept that attitude or, or question it, but there's no, we just don't want to change it. Our bubbies and Zaydis didn't do it. We don't want to do it. Kind of built, huh? Now, the first reasons I I didn't say what they were yet, but there are some halachic questions, mm. so uh, I'll, I'll I'll go over that. But but the first problem is halachic questions. The second one is the built-in conservatism. I don't I don't mean the conservative movement. I mean uh, you know sm- good conservatism. The built-in idea of not changing things because uh, this is not what Bubby and Zadie did. Why do why do we have to do it? Um, So, uh, and the third reason is, although I I think this is difficult, is they don't want to bring in at a chasana any thought about divorce. Because, you know, for Keret, you know, you don't get married thinking about how you're going to handle a divorce. It's kind of bringing an eye in horror. Now, well, I don't want to say I told you so. You know, I I have a friend or a person, I, I was actually the rev of their family. And I still remember at the chasna, his chasna, uh, 25 years ago, Bikala's parents very much wanted a prenuptial agreement. And he refused. And I remember him telling me with mamish anger, he says, I will not do anything about a divorce. I will not talk about the possibility of a divorce. Impossible. Uh, Twenty-five years later, uh, they got divorced. Uh, you know, uh, now uh, she, uh, he's not in Aguna. He gave a get, so they didn't they didn't need the agreement. Yeah, yeah no, so nothing nothing bad happened because he didn't sign the agreement. But his attitude that divorce was such an impossibility, you know, unfortunately uh, in this day and age, everything uh, can be uh, tragically uh, possible. Okay. So these are kind of three reasons. So I just want to warn you that uh, if you get married to a Hasidisha, uh young man, whatever yeah. it is, and you come in and you say Yo, you want a prenup, uh, well, they'll look at you funny and uh, they, won't, uh, they won't do it. But, 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 but I want you to know at least what it is. Uh, and again, I don't push it either. I, 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 I don't push it. I'm, I'm not telling anyone to do a prenup. I just want to tell you what it is. And you should understand uh, what is the halachic problem with it and... What is the halachic defense of it? So you understand the underlying concept. Uh, so the prenup that is most commonly used both in the United States and with some modifications in Israel, uh, other countries too, was prepared by uh, the Rabbinical Council of America. That's the RCA. Uh, you can actually get a copy of it online for free, the RCA prenup. And uh, the Rav who uh, wrote it uh, is a rosh yeshiva at uh, YU, uh, Rav Mordechai Willick, who's a, a very esteemed uh, Talmud chacham, and it actually received the haskama of uh, really one of the gedolei haposkim who just died uh, maybe a year or two ago, Rav Zalman Nechemia Goldberg, uh, who was Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach's son-in-law, but a great great uh in his own right. So his saskama carries enormous, enormous uh, weight. And uh, let me point out that the RCA prenup, which is signed by the chasan and the kala, has three parts, part A, part B, and part C. <coughs> and you need to know that each part can be signed separately. You can do a part A without a B or C, or a part B uh, or a part C. Uh, but they want you, you know, the RCA obviously is pushing that people should sign all three. So let's go over the three parts. Part A simply says this. In the event that we, bride and groom, come to a disagreement and one of us uh, wants a divorce, we agree to go to a based-in and, and, and it suggests that you name the Basin. In other words, ahead of time, you name the Basin. We will go to the Basin of Crown Heights. We will go to the Basin of Muncie. We will go to what's called the Basin of America, which happens to be the RCA Basin. Or in Israel, we will go to the Basin of the Eida uh, Haredes or whatever it is. Okay? We will agree to go to the Basin and obey whatever decision the Basin poskets. That is all Part A is. Now, let me say at the outset, Part A has no halachic problem whatsoever. There is no debate. Part A is very, very simple. It simply states what the people have to do anyway. They agree to go to a basin and obey the decision of a basin. What's the problem with that? that Halakhically, that's what they have to do. So you may ask me a very simple question. Well, if that's what they have to do anyway, so what's the pro- so why, why, what do you gain by signing? I mean, if they didn't sign, the, you have to go to a bastid, right? So what are you gaining? What does it do? So there are two things that it does. Number one, it, it does choose the bastin ahead of time, and that's very, very helpful because if we, didn't have a, if we didn't have that part A, so when the wife wants to take the husband to bastion, he says, I want to go to this bastion, etc., and that could take a lot of time where they're fighting over which basin to go to. So it's very, very useful at a time when they talk to each other, at a time when they agree, because when they're fighting, they're not going to agree. At a time when they agree, so they say ahead of time, which then it's going to be, right? That saves a lot of fighting uh, because very often people will fight you because I, I want to sue you, you know, not just for, forget, for, for anything, for a moment. If I have a contract fight, a dispute with you and I take you to basin, you say, "Oh, I don't want to go to that basin, I want to go to that basin, you know, and et, cetera, et cetera, So one reason to have a part A, and this, there's no halakhic problem with it. This is not the Shiloh. Not, when I said there are halakhic problems, that'll be the other parts, not, not this part. There was no halachic problem with a based agreement. Okay, uh, so why, why, why sign it? So number one, you're designating the based okay? But there's a second reason as well. And here I have to be a little legalistic with you, a little uh, lawyer-like, and that is by making it a legal agreement to go to a based-in, that is what the legal system calls an arbitration agreement. What is an arbitration agreement? We sign a contract that we will go to some non-court body to resolve our dispute. Now, it could be a basin. in. Arbitration could be anything. It could be a panel of arbitrators. Now, the thing about an arbitration agreement is that if somebody refuses to go to the arbitration panel, the other side can go to secular courts. See, this is how you get around the separation of church and state. I mentioned to you before that in the United States, just because a basin decides something, the secular court is not gonna enforce it at all. Ah, but if you have an arbitration agreement, they will. They'll force the husband to go to the bastin and they'll force him to obey the bastin because they're not enforcing religion, they're enforcing a contract. That's the difference. Separation of church and state says that a secular court does not enforce religious law. But if we entered into an arbitration agreement, then it's like any other contract. You made a contract, a court is gonna make you listen to the contract, you see? So these are the two advantages of part A. Number one, it designates the basin in advance. And number two, it creates a legal arbitration agreement that will, number one, force the husband to go to the basin. And number two, force the husband to listen to the basin if they order him to give again. So part A is very, very good. Part A has no halakhic problem whatsoever, because once again, you can go to a secular court to force a person to listen to a basting. That's not, it's not worse than hiring mafia and the like. Right, so that's what part A does. So why isn't part A enough? Why would the RCA want you to do a part B? Because here's the problem. Think about it. Part A is only gonna help the woman if she gets a psak, that the husband must give her a get. If she gets a psak, that the husband must give her a get, so now she has something, she can go to secular court, and if he doesn't do it, he can go to jail, he can be fined, you know, things like that. Even in the United States, that has separation of church and state. Now, I don't know if you remember, we discussed last week, that a basin will not always order a man to give a get. Like the Rambam, yes, it's very easy. The woman just has to say that she doesn't uh, want to live with the guy anymore. But like Rabbeinu Tam and the Shulchan Aruch, she has to prove uh, abuse or some severe idea. So sometimes the woman will get a psa, sometimes she won't. Now if she doesn't get a psa, the arbitration agreement is not going to help her because there's nothing that the court is going to force the man to do if the basin didn't order the man to do it. So part A only helps the woman if she gets a PSOC. It will not help the woman if she does not get a PSOC. Okay, so that's the so now you understand the benefit of part A and the disadvantage or the limitation of part A. So now we come to part B. And part B is probably the most innovative part of the prenup, but as you might suspect, this is where we get into halachic problems. That is, part B says the following. For every day that we are not living under the same... Well, the way it starts off is the following. If the wife sends a notice to the husband that she wants a get, and the husband fails to give a get within, I think, 30 days, let's say, then for every day until a get is delivered, the husband will pay his wife X amount of dollars to cover her economic needs, such as rent, food. It's a little complicated. It's based on a cost of living index, depending on where the wife lives. So the way it works is that, uh, let's say she lives in New York. So you take an average. The government has statistics. How much does rent cost? How much does food cost? How much does clothing cost? How much does transportation cost? How much do utilities cost? And let's imagine, I don't know the prices, let's imagine that's $1,000 a month. Probably more than that. Probably, let's say $2,000 a month. So, part B says, if the man does not give a get within 30 days, for every day he does not give a get, he will pay that daily rate. In other words, divide the month. If the month is 3000 a month, so divide it by 30 so what do you get? Uh, that's hundred dollars a day. Is that right? So it'll say you will pay your wife one hundred dollars a day based on the three thousand dollars per month until you deliver again. In this case, isn't he just trying to I suppose already he's already paying her living costs? Yeah, I'll come. Back. I just have to leave her for a minute. I'll be back. Is that part A is only going to help a woman if she winds up with a stock based. So part B basically says, even if I don't go to, even if a woman doesn't go to based, for every day that you don't give me a get after the 30 days, uh, you're going to pay me uh, on a daily basis the monthly expenses based on the cost of living determination for that type of part of the country. So New York is more expensive than uh, Baltimore. Baltimore is more expensive than North Dakota, Mm -hmm. whatever it would be. Now, so the husband has a strong incentive to give a get, because every day he doesn't give a get, he's gonna have to pay his wife $100. And that becomes a legal contract. It's a legal contract. She could go to court uh, to enforce it. So that is a way that puts pressure on the husband (coughs) <clears throat> to give a get in order that he shouldn't keep on having this monetary obligation of support now the agreement makes clear well what if the woman refuses to accept the get so as a result it keeps on uh, adding up so, so, that, so the, the agreement says if the husband authorizes a get to be written and the get is in the in that she could pick it up whenever she wants the husband's obligation stops at that point so she cannot keep the obligation going by refusing to accept the get. So that is part B. And the myla, the myla of part B is it creates a pressure on the husband to give a get, even if the woman did not get a psak based in that the husband has to divorce her. Now, it is part B that raises some halachic questions. And let me explain what the halachic questions are. There is a general rule that a get must be given willingly without coercion or duress unless the bastin has ordered him. In other words, there is a rule, once a bastin has ordered a person to give a get, we can hire mafia, we can beat him, we can uh, put a gun to his head. All of that is permitted but only after there's a psak-basedin. I think I told you, if a woman were to hire mafia without a psak-basedin, the get that she gets through that process is a puzzle get, because it is a get through coercion and duress. The halachic term for a coerced get, that's puzzle, no good, is called get ma'usa. Get ma'usa means a coerced get. So here is the halachic question. But Merche Sternbach, who is a great uh, posek here in Yerushalayim, has taken the position that if a man gives a get, because if he doesn't give a get, he'll have to pay his wife $100 a day, is giving the get under coercion because he knows if he doesn't give the get, he will have to pay this amount of money, and even if coercion is okay, if there is a psak based in, Part B does not require. In fact, the whole purpose of Part B is to give the woman leverage, without a psak based it. So Rav Sternbach said that the very advantage that it's supposedly offering is the halachic defect in the prenup. Because it results in men giving a get under duress, under coercion, and therefore it is called a get mu'usa. And of course, for a woman to get a puzzle get is uh, no no solution at all. A puzzle, if a get is invalid, then fakert, it's better to have no get than to have a get that's puzzled, because a get that's puzzled, she'll, she'll be misled into thinking she could marry, when in fact she cannot marry and the kids will be mamzeirem and everything else. So Rav Sternbach said it is forbidden to sign part B of the RCA prenup. Well, you can sign it. The avera is not the signing, but, but he says if it winds up a get that's given because of the fines, because of the punishments, uh, the get would be a puzzle get. So there's no purpose in signing it. Uh, and it's wrong to sign it because you'll be, you'll, you might be creating a get in the future that's going to be puzzle. Now, that seems to be a pretty logical argument, but what is the counter-argument? The counter-argument is, this is not really coercion because the halacha is anyway. A man is obligated to support his wife until he divorces her. So this is simply quantifying what is already his halachic obligation. It's not like saying, I'll pay you a million dollars if I don't give you again. That would be coercion. But to simply say you're going to pay her her support needs, as defined by rent, utilities, clothing, and food, so the argument goes that is already his obligation under the Kisuba. Now, the Kisuba doesn't give you a dollar amount, that's true. This gives you a dollar amount, but this is simply quantifying what is already the basic obligation. So this is a huge, huge machlokus. meaning uh, there are those that say, of HaChemig Oberg, who was a great, great man, who say, this is totally legitimate. This is simply, to use the language of halacha, a quantification of mizonos, meaning mizonos is the obligation of a husband to support. Uh, but Ramosha Moshe calls it get ma'usa. It is a get given under compulsion. Now, part A is not a problem. Because even if part A does al- allow a secular court to force the man to give a get, that's only after a psak So part A that says, I'll go to basin and listen to their decision, if the husband is forced by a court telling him to go to jail unless he gives the get, that's perfectly fine because coercion after a psak is legitimate. Part B is a makhlukes, right? Rav Sturmbach treats it as get ma'usa, and Rav Zalman Nechemia treats it as a quantification of the husband's obligation to support his wife, which is an obligation under the Kesuvah until he gives her a get yeah.
1: Is it because the second part is it saying that he has it's saying even if the basin didn't give up stock? That's
0: correct. That that's exactly and right. She just
1: demands it?
0: She just demands it, that's what it says. In other words, mm-hmm. the, 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 the fine or whatever you want to call it is triggered. By her simply asking for a get, which he does not respond for 30 days, then every day, $100 a day, were based on the monthly support idea. So the reason why it's Mooseh is because she doesn't have to go to Basin. Now, that's the whole purpose of it. The whole purpose of it is to give her some leverage without going to Basin. But you see, that's the whole point. The very purpose of it is what creates the halachic problem with it. Okay, so that's that's a big machlokas. So he doesn't give
1: her a get within thirty days. Doesn't go to
0: basin within thirty days. No, doesn't give her a get. In other words, uh, in other words, part B does not require a basin at all. She demands a get. If he does not give it within thirty days, he is going to have to pay for her support. Uh, and again, it's a complicated number, uh, but as I say, it does have to be connected to support. See, that's very critical. If it wouldn't be connected to support, then it would be a get It would just be a punishment for not giving a get. But connecting it to support is the fora. That's the argument that, w- that it would be okay, because it's simply telling the husband to do what he has to do under the k'suva, and that is to support his wife until he gives her a get. Yeah.
1: To if she were to use either form of coercion without having the sock first, what happens then to her attempt to get? Let's say that she finds out. Oh, I shouldn't used coercion. I shouldn't have someone go bother him at work. I shouldn't have done X, Y, Z. Perhaps hired boons, for example. <laughs> Whatever method that was used. Suppose she didn't realize that now that means that forget. Or, um, is invalid, can she go get another one? She's always of course, no, of course. Of so course. It's like they are clearing the slate and trying again. Yeah, yeah, the, pro- is, yeah the,
0: to the problem point. is he may not he may not get now she's in Aguda again. Meaning, is, uh, isn't there like a precedent set that, that there there's like it's like the water has been
1: poisoned
0: sort of? Oh no, no 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 as long as, as long as the next get will not be a product of coercion, uh, it's gonna be fine. Gotcha. Uh, she's not permanently disabled from getting a kosher get. Uh, but, but, but once again, she's at the mercy of her husband. Uh, once again, by invalidating the first get. Okay. Who's the one yeah. that
1: says that it's it's okay to do. It?
0: So this was uh, well, R- 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 Rabbi Willick who wrote the agreement, and uh, his posek was Rav Zalman Nechemia Goldberg. He just was nifter uh, last year. Very, very great, uh, great posek. Yeah. Can I ask? Um, so I know a bunch of
1: modern modern Orthodox schools in the like, Chicago land? Yes. They, have, they literally have like. Years ago, at one of the local shows they had like get, uh, sorry, uh, get, a get, sorry, a catch, uh, a pre uh, prenuptial. Uh, um, right. uh, they had a signing thing. Everyone got together and <laughs> okay. did yeah. a big signing thing for. Yeah. I think it was actually Valentine's Day, so like a, <laughs> which is really weird. But I'm also wondering, like, how if these are modern ethics communities, why are they like? If there's a lot of issues. No, they put,
0: they push this a lot. The modern Orthodox community pushes the prenup a lot. Uh, they consider it to be a. Good solution. I'm not sure how good a solution it is, but you know. Uh, but but you know, okay. Uh, I mean, I I mean, not that my opinion matters. I I, I tend to agree with Osama Nechemia that it's not halakhically invalid. But as they say, you know, there are those who Rav Sternbach is a, is a you know a of a person. Uh, but that's the issue, okay? So does everyone understand the difference between Part A and Part B? Part A. So again, Rav Sternbach has no problem with Part A that people sometimes misquote him. They say, oh, he's against every part of the prenup. Uh, that's not true. Part A is perfectly fine, but part B, which is the most important part, really, is, is the part that he says is a real, real problem. Okay. Now, uh, those are the two parts of the agreement that deal with Aguna issues. Uh, part C is not about Aguna. Part C is something else. Uh, and let me just talk about what that is in every divorce, even if the husband wants to give a get. right? So get is not a problem, husband gives a get. But you have a lot of issues. How do you divide property? Uh, what are the visitate- who which, which parent gets custody of the child? Primary custody, right? There are three possibilities. Uh, father gets primary custody, not that often. Mother gets primary custody, or what's very common today is what's called joint custody. Okay? Uh, then visitation, meaning whoever has custody, what is the visitation schedule? Right? These are big issues. And, of course, child support. Right? So these are, uh, so how many issues did I mention? In other words, we have child support, we have child visitation, we have custody, and we have property division. Now, here is the issue. There is a secular law that covers all of these things, and there is a Jewish law that covers all of these things. And the Jewish law may not always be the same as the secular law. One example might be, Jewish law basically says, children below six, mother gets custody. Children above six, father gets custody of sons, and mother gets custody of daughters. Assuming everybody's fit. I'm not talking about an abusive parent or anything. All right? So Jewish law is kind of Automatic, basically, in other words, below six, mom gets. Uh, Above six, we differentiate between sons and daughters. Secular law does not operate that way. Secular law is always going to decide who they think is the best parent. So it's a different standard. Child support, Uh, again, I think I mentioned to you that some but they do not give child support for children above the age of six. They say the kids go to work. <laughs> that was the law of the Gemara. Uh, secular courts certainly do. Property, I think I, we discussed that uh, married women don't get a lot of property of their husband upon divorce under halacha. Under secular law, they may get 50%. Now, here's the thing that women don't always understand. According to the halacha, you must go to Basin, you're not allowed to go to secular court. Just because you'll get more in a secular court is not a heter to go to secular court. You have to go to Basin. But this is what the RCA offers. In monetary matters, in money, in property, the parties can agree that the law will be the secular law, meaning they can authorize the basin to decide the matter according to secular law. They, they couldn't do this for Shabbos or Kashrus, but for monetary matters, they could. So Part C asks the parties to check a box. If you are going to bastin on property and child support, do you want to be governed by halacha? Or do you want us to decide based on secular law? So they're still going to Bastin. Okay, don't confuse this. They must go to Bastin, but they can authorize the Bastin to apply secular law. So that's part C, and that's useful uh, because uh, that gives the Bastin the power to decide these matters but the parties decide if they want the basin to use religious law or secular law. And now, luckily that is permitted, because it's, um, if it's monetary, property, or money, they can actually go to the basin. Now, let me give you one example. Now, usually, the way it works is, a woman does better in secular law. But I'll give you one example where that's not the case.
1: Yeah? The box they check chekhov is
0: saying that basin? Yes. The basin should decide based on secular law, or the basin should decide based on religiously. You, so you check the box. Check the box, huh? You're always with the Uh but you check which box, how you want the basin to decide the case. Now, I know that sounds very, very funny. How, how can you tell a basin to decide based on secular law, uh, but again, uh, the basin is giving you the option. You're not ordering the basin what to do, uh, but the basin is asking you uh, what you want them to do. And even though it sounds funny for a basin not to follow Torah law, let me point out that for property and monetary matters, uh, you are permitted to, to tell them to use secular law. This wouldn't be true for other, other things. Um, okay. Now, let me give you uh, an interesting example of uh, where a basin will actually help a woman more than, uh, more than secular law. And this is an issue that comes up a lot. Let's imagine a couple gets divorced and they have young children. And I'll give you an example. Let's imagine that the woman is more from than, than her ex-husband. Her ex-husband, let's say, is not from anymore. Now, the woman has primary custody. Let's say even legally and you know, the kids are younger than six, she has primary custody, that's fine. Uh, but she wants to send them to yeshiva. She wants to send them to first grade or whatever it would be. And yeshiva costs, let's say, I'll make make up a number, uh, $12,000 a year. The husband doesn't care about yeshiva and the husband says, why should I pay $12,000 a year? They can go to public school and I'll, I'll pay nothing. Now, they go in front of a secular judge. Now, a secular judge will make the guy pay child support, food, whatever it will be. But when the woman comes in and says, hey, I want as child support $12,000 to pay for day school tuition, the judge is going to say, as a legal system, we don't care if the kid goes to a religious school or not a religious school. It's your personal preference to send him to a religious school, but I can't make your husband pay because you want him to go to a religious school. Which means, generally speaking, a woman is not going to get tuition for yeshiva as part of child support because the secular system is indifferent. The secular system says it makes a difference to us if he goes to yeshiva or, or, or public school. Same thing with a girl, whatever it is. Uh, Beis Yaakov, Beis Rivka whatever it will be so in a bastin, on the other hand it works exactly the opposite way there is a Chiyuv in Halacha on a father in particular to pay for the Jewish education of their child so a bastin will the machay of the husband. Now again, if the husband can claim there's a cheaper yeshiva that's just as good, okay, that's a separate issue. As it may not may not be the yeshiva the mother wants, uh, but the point the husband cannot make the argument. I want my kid to go to public school. Halakhically, that's not a, a permissible argument. So that would be an example where a woman can actually do very well in a bastid, uh where she would not be able to get that tuition in a secular court. Okay, so those are the three parts of the RCA uh, prenup. The agreement to go to a basin, the support obligations for every day he doesn't give a get, and uh, the choice of whether the basin should decide according to Torah law or the basin should decide according to secular law when it divides property, child support, uh, visitation, and uh, custody. Okay? Um, all right, so that's kind of what you need to know. As I say, uh, it is part B that is the main controversy in which Rav Zalman Nehemia considered it to be valid and Rav Moshe Sturmbach considered it to be producing a get ma'usa, a compelled get. And as I say, in the yeshiva world, uh, most uh, in the Hasidic world certainly, most people do not sign the prenup. But, you know, again, as I say, uh, I'm not uh, saying it's no good. I personally actually think it is good. Uh, but you know, uh, when it if it comes up, you'll discuss it with uh, whoever is uh, doing your ma doing your chasna <laughs> at the time if you want it or, or do not want it. Is there
1: any halachic issues with this last
0: one? Uh, uh, what? Um, are there halachic issues with this last one? Uh, no, no, no. The, last, the last one sounds surprising, but but it actually is is okay. That's not uh, not a problem. But
1: she's like she could be. Um like digging a hole for herself. technically, depending on which one she chooses.
0: Yes, but, but the thing is, I, I would suggest that, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. So, for example, uh, of course, they have to agree on the choice, by the way. It's not just she chooses. It's not just he chooses. I mean, they have to agree, which may be difficult. But they could say, for example, that we want secular law to govern except with respect to tuition, Right. right? Of course, that, that assumes she'll get what she wants, but, but, uh, but yeah. So it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. They, they, can, uh, they can pinpoint the choices and, uh, and, and the like. Okay, all righty, so that's the RCA. Um, I, I just have two more points I want to mention about uh, GUNA, and that is um, two very interesting secular laws in the state of New York, and New York is the only place that has these laws. New the York? New York, state of New York. And this is called New York Get Law Number One," which was passed in 1983. and New York Get Law number two, that was passed in 1992. Uh, New York Get Law number uh, number one. Uh, 1983. 83, 80, 1983. It's been around a long time. It says a very interesting thing. It says, I'm going to put it in regular English. I mean, I can give you the legalese, but it's a little hard to decipher unless you're used to uh, legal language. It basically says, a man cannot get a civil divorce, a secular divorce, in the state of New York unless he removes any impediment to the ability of his wife to remarry. So it doesn't mention the word get, obviously, because uh, you know, it, it has to be writ- written in a neutral way. But that means the following. If I'm a husband and I want to get a divorce, a secular divorce, I will not get a secular divorce unless I have removed a barrier to my wife's ability to remarry. This- a get is of course a barrier or the lack of a get is a barrier to her ability to remarry so in New York we're basically telling the husband if you don't give your wife a get you will not get a secular divorce and this
1: is specifically targeting like men who become secular so they can't just say well I don't care about a
0: get but I'm- that's correct so even if you don't care a man doesn't care about a uh, based in a get and he's happy to get married without a get, but he's stuck, he's still legally married, right? So that's New York get law number one. You, the man, will not be able to get a secular divorce until you give your wife a get, because if you haven't given your wife a get, you are maintaining an impediment to the marriage, the remarriage of your spouse. Now, this law in the United States has only been in New York. This law does not exist anywhere else. But, well, anywhere else in the United States. But, but, it was the model for a law in Ontario Province, Canada. That's where Toronto is. It used to be the
1: law?
0: No, it is the law. In other Uh, words, the New York law was, was passed in Ontario Province in Canada and was passed in South Africa. And I believe in England, so it has—it's had—it's had some international influence, even though in the United States, no other state has passed it. I remember uh, in uh, Maryland, uh, uh, Jewish organizations wanted to get it passed, but uh, they couldn't get—they couldn't get it passed. Um, okay, so that's New York—New York Get Law Number One. What's the
1: legal wording, just to get it?
0: Um, Okay, it says that, uh, well, well, I I gave you some of it. It says no no person can receive a civil divorce in the state of New York uh, unless they file a verified affidavit under oath that they have removed any impediment to the remarriage of the other spouse. Uh, It's a little different than I told you because the judge does not decide if he gave again. He has to file a statement, and the judge operates off the statement. So you can file
1: a false statement.
0: And that's correct. Uh, so the question is, what if he files a false statement, right? So what do you do? So the answer is that since the statement is under oath, if the statement is false, he can go to jail, etc. So it's this kind of their sanctions. Um, now, to give you a little more of a complication is like this. It says, if he files an affidavit, all right, listen to this. So he can't get a civil divorce unless he files a statement that he gave a get, okay? Let's say he files a statement that he gave a get. So it says the rabbi who solemnized the marriage can file a counter statement that no get was given. And in such case, he will not get a civil divorce until the rabbi files a statement. Right? So, so it's a little complicated. So the way the game works is the following. A man wants a divorce. When a man files divorce papers, he must file that he removed the barrier to his wife's marriage. If he files the statement, he will get a divorce. A judge is not going to hold a hearing on it. But if the rabbi who married them files a statement that he didn't give a get then the judge will not grant a divorce to the husband until that rabbi files a statement later that a get was given. It's a little crazy. What if that rabbi dies? It seems if that rabbi dies, there's no way for the husband to ever ever get a civil divorce, even if he gives a get, because the only one that can uh, remove the first counter affidavit is the rabbi. Right. So there, well, there, are, there are some kinks in the, uh, in the statute, but this is how the law, the law works. This is New York Get Law number, number one.
1: It's called
0: that? Well, no, that, that's what it's called in the Jewish community. Uh, technically, it's um, section something of the domestic relations law of New York statute. Section 200-something of New York uh, domestic relations law. Popularly called New York Get Law number one. The word get is not mentioned at all. The only thing that's used is impediments to the remarriage of the other spouse.
1: Has it ever been used in court for a purpose other than the get situation?
0: No. I, I, believe, I believe not. I believe not. Um, and in fact, it's very, very interesting that, you know, under the Catholics, Catholics officially do not have... Uh, do not recognize divorce, which actually means if a Catholic divorces his Catholic wife, she cannot remarry under Catholic Church. So that would mean that no Catholic man could ever get a civil divorce because he could never remove the barrier to the remarriage of his wife. But they still do. So so the way they worded it is, something is a barrier to her remarriage only if it's within your power to remove. And therefore, the Catholic guy who can't remove it, so it's worded with all of those things in mind. So even though it doesn't mention get the only case the only case it covers is get. Okay. Okay? So this is get law number 1. Okay. Now, get law number 1 has some weaknesses. Because number 1, it only stops the husband from getting a divorce in the state of New York. Well, husband can move to another state and get a divorce in some other state. Is
1: that possible?
0: Oh, not at all. Not at all. You can move all the time. Now, now, different states have residence requirements. You may have to live in a state for a few years, but Las Vegas, and you, I'm sure you've heard of, of getting quickie divorces in Las Vegas. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, Las Vegas is in Nevada. So like Nevada, all you need to do is like live there for a day or something, and you can already get a divorce there. So you can get quickie divorces in Nevada. So husband just goes to Nevada. Uh, and gets a divorce there, right? Uh, and, and the like. So it's, it's not a 100% thing because people can move to different states and everything else. So in 1992, uh, New York passed a second law, which is tougher, but again, uh, I hope you'll see that there's halachic problems in that second law. And that is the following... <laughs> The second law, which is also part of the domestic relations law, popularly called Get Law No. 2. What year? 1992, nine years later. And you'll see in a moment that there was a major event that occurred between the two laws. That Mm -hmm. was a problem. New York Geth Law No. 2 says, when a judge decides property, who gets the house, who gets the car, who gets the pension fund, so the court has a whole cholent of things it looks at. Who has, who's richer, who has more education. You know, it looks at different, different things. So one of the things it looks at is the maintenance of a barrier to the remarriage of the other spouse. So to put that in simple English, what that means is a judge in the state of New York can tell the husband, I can't force you to give a get, but if you give a get, you'll get 50% of their, your house. And if you don't give a get, I'm gonna give your whole house to your wife.
1: Can you say the law one more time?
0: The law says that in considering how to divide up property between husband and wife, the court looks at many, many things. And one of the things it can look at is whether the husband is maintaining a barrier or an impediment to the marriage of his spouse. So, to put that in regular English, if the judge sees that the man has not given his wife a get, the judge can tell the man, I'm giving all of your property to your wife. In other words, you got it, you have a choice, uh, mister. You have a choice, husband. You can give a get to your wife, and I will recognize the 50% ownership
1: of your house. That he legally has. Yeah.
0: Or if you don't give a get to your wife, I will use that as a negative factor and give her the entire house. So you have a choice. You can refuse to give a get, and I will give her all this property, or you can give her a get, and then I will recognize your legal 50% ownership. So this is a much more powerful. The first New York get law, the worst that it did to the husband was, it simply told the husband, you're not gonna get a divorce. This is much more, this actually tells the husband, you will lose your house. Because it's a factor the judge uses in dividing up property. So, let me explain what the problem is. Between 1983 and 1992, a big thing happened in the world of halacha, and that was the death of Rav Moshe Feinstein, who was considered to be the posek, the halakhic authority, of the generation in fact we have a number of interesting conversations between the Rebbe and Rav Moshe about a lot, of, a lot of things and Rav Moshe Feinstein was alive and he approved the first New York law he was not alive when they did the second New York law and the problem is the following Many people say that the second New York law produces a compelled get, because what is a judge telling a husband? If you give a get, we will give you the 50% of the house that you own. If you don't give a get, we will take away the 50% of the house that you own. So if a man gives a get, because he is told that if he doesn't give a get, he's going to lose 50% of the house that he owns. He is giving a get under compulsion and under duress without any basin decision here. It doesn't say you need a basin decision. Now, so therefore, there are many postcom that say any get that is given under the compulsion of get law number two is going to be an invalid get.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you may ask me, so why is New York get law number one any better? There are you you're telling the husband. If you give a get, you'll get a divorce. If you don't give a get, you won't get a divorce. Well, isn't he being forced there? So here is what Rav Moshe said. Rav Moshe said, in order to be called to coercion, you have to lose something you already have. Mm. In the case of a divorce, we're simply not giving you a new thing. You, the husband, are already married. You want something new. You want a divorce. Well,
1: you want to lose your marriage.
0: I understand. But that's not getting something new. That's keeping you where you are. Meaning, keeping you where you are is not coercion. It's only taking something away you already have is coercion. See the difference? New York Law number two is taking away what the husband owns. New York, new York Law number one is leaving him in his present situation and not giving him the new thing that he wants. He wants a divorce. So that's why Rav Moshe said, New York Law number one is not coercive within halacha New York ethic number two is coercive, right? That's a very subtle distinction. he was
1: already passed away when two was gone. That's
0: correct. So he never opined. In other words, he was never consulted on number two. Number two was passed without uh, the agreement of Moshe Feinstein. And as a result, uh, many post him today uh, consider it to be a very bad law.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, there are defenders of it. It's a complicated, complicated thing. Uh, but it is a. New York Ethel Number Two is a difficult law, and that's why, when I said there's international copying of New York, it's only the first one that's been copied. Meaning, South Africa, uh, Canada, Ontario Province, and uh, England, have passed laws based on New York Ethel Number One, but they have not passed laws based on New York law Number Number Two. Because New York the number 2 creates some great difficulties with get ma'usa, right? That's a term you should uh, memorize. Uh, get ma'usa. That means a coerced, compelled get. Mem, ayin, vav, sin, hey, ma'usa. Yeah? Um, why did they
1: pass it? Was it like the... Were, were there rabbis involved? Oh, yeah, there,
0: there were some rabbis involved, but again, not, not, not of the and, stature of Rav Moshe Feinstein. You know, like why would so. the legal
1: system
0: not want to pass it? Oh, uh, why would the legal system not want to? Well, 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 first of all, I mean, in order for the legal system to pass anything like this, you need, you need Jewish activists. I mean, the legal system on its own is not, doesn't care about get it all. So what happens is you have Jewish activists who bring it to the attention, and uh, they get rabbis who defend it, you know, who say it's a good thing to protect Dagunas and the like but the problem is that uh, what you think is a good thing may raise halachic problems you know you need uh, something like this you need you always need kedolim you always need the greatest rabbis to show that it's right because uh, you're dealing with mamzer you're dealing with get eh uh, ashes ish to match a married woman uh, is an de dioraisa. so you got to be very 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 careful see it's, it's let me explain it's a little different than something like kashwas, uh because like this, if I'm a Rav and you ask me a shayla about kashrus, so I can posken for you what I think is right, even if other rabbis won't agree, because it's only relevant to you. But I can't really, if you're an Ashesiyash and you have a get, and there's some question if your get is a good get or not, I can't like tell you it's a good get if other rabbis don't agree, because that's going to leave you in a situation where your kids might be called mamzerim. You see the difference here. In other words, a lot of shilas, you can get a personal p'sak, and it really makes no difference what other rabbis say. I don't mean get a bad p'sak, but I mean you know. In other words, a rabbi could say, "I think it's muter. I don't care what uh, Rabbi so and so says. I think it's okay. You're allowed to do it. I can tell you that for kashras, I can tell you that for Shabbos. But when it comes to get." It's irresponsible of me to do a get that other rabbis are not going to accept because that's going to have repercussions for your children 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So that's why it's very, very dangerous for some rabbis to push for certain laws that other rabbis have not accepted in this area of get. Because, you know, it's not like a private, discreet psa that only affects one person. It affects generations of people. And that was the problem with New York Eth law number two. They did not really consult um, many Gedolim uh, in terms of they just, said, they just said, hey, it's a good, it's a good idea. No. well, let's protect Agunas, and let's just uh, go ahead and ma- make, a, make a law. And that's uh, an irresponsible thing to do. Okay, everybody uh, got it. All righty, so... Uh, and the happiness <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well uh, you know, my bracha is and I, I'm sure it'll be the case that all of this will be very 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 theoretical it will never be anything uh, you will you will face and uh, and you know you know they say like this maybe I'll draw an analogy they say that to buy a grave buy a kever when you're still alive mm-hmm. is said to be a yomim. strangely enough mm-hmm that you buy a grave, Hashem gives you a long life. So, maybe by analogy, okay. we, le- we learn about all the laws of divorce, so it's a schooler for Sholem Ba'is. <laughs> all right, all right. You
1: yeah, have a good week everybody. Thank okay. okay. you.